So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's the Full Goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Viore. If you're sick and tired of your old traditional workout gear, then I have two words that will change everything. Viore clothing. This line of active wear is truly unbelievable. And here's why. Look, you've seen me. You've seen the shorts I do on YouTube. I walk around. I do stuff. I listen to podcasts when I walk. I make calls when I walk. I like to wear comfortable workout equipment, you know, like nothing nuts, just like a really nice pullover, comfortable pants to walk around. Viore is designed to work out in whatever you're doing, but it doesn't look or feel like you're working out at all. It's so freaking soft and comfortable. You'll never want to take it off. And here's the best part. You don't have to take it off. Wear Viore clothing to train, travel, or lounge around the house. I do a lot of lounge around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash ringer. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash ringer. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Chicago everywhere. Check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome in to The uh, Full Goal Podcast with Jason Golf. I'm him, uh, as always, brought to you by The Ringer. And, of course, Spotify is the gang. Uh, I don't know why Tannehill and I are smiling or laughing at all as this is Bears Packers week and for the majority of our lives as adults and probably all of our lives as kids, uh, not even all of it, but but a, a nice a nice total of, of Bears Packers weeks have gone by where the Bears have gotten either their asses kicked or lost a close game. And I, I, I liken it to... Uh, like NBA style, NBA wise, when the Orlando Magic <laughs> lost Shaquille O'Neal and then they suffer for like a year or two or whatever the case may be. And then Dwight Howard came a calling. And Dwight Howard at the time when he came out of Southwestern Christian Academy, easy enough for me to say, was like going to be 
everything. Kareem, Bill Walton, Shaq, Akeem, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson all rolled into one, right? And uh, interestingly enough, he was going to change the NBA's logo to a cross because he was incredibly religious coming out of Southwestern Christian Academy. I liken that to what's happened to Bears fans over the last, I don't know, 25 years or so because the, the Packers went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, like two of, arguably two of the top 10 maybe top seven eight quarterbacks to ever play the game so yeah Bears fans have nothing to smile about and and I don't think this week is going to be that much different now anything can happen uh, I'm really looking forward to the matchups in the middle against Eddie Goldman Eddie Goldman I thought was a nice force last week but he's gonna have to be even more of a force because Akeem Hicks looks like he's down for this game and also that interior line of the Green Bay Packers is incredibly young they're starting two rookies and a second year player now Josh Myers is back for them so that that'll stabilize some of that but those tackles right you got no David back to area I think Elton Jenkins is back uh but they, they've been going with you know was it Yashua uh, was it Neiman or something Nijman or something like that like he's he's actually been good for them so <clears throat> if if Cleo Mack's still battling this foot issue uh, and I believe he was limited participation or didn't participate on in Wednesday's practice. If that's just giving him a veteran's day off so he can go after the quarterback on Sunday, I got no problem. Uh, it's that second slate of games, that second brick of the schedule, so a lot of people are going to be watching. And, of course, it's Bears-Packers, right? Uh, Bears-Packers means a lot to Bears players and Packers players, obviously. Uh, talking to many Bears players over the years is different up there at House Hall when it's Packers week. You know, you know, the McCaskies are, are, are all about Packers week. And just like in Green Bay, you know, people are supposed to hate the Bears in Green Bay. I've never been the – and like I said, maybe it's because of the two quarterbacks I've watched over the last 20-some-odd years, but I've never been the one who just out and out hated, hated the Packers, right? Like I, I had as much disdain for the Packers as I did the Lions, as I did the – actually, I hated the Vikings uh, the same, if not more, than the Packers as a kid. Uh, just the whole Viking vibe, you know, and trading for Herschel Walker. And then, you know, they, they always had like a miserable quarterback that was just good enough to beat the Bears. And, of course, they had some damn good teams when Randy and Chris Carter and Jake Reed were running around with Robert Smith and Dante Culpepper. So, yeah, man, the, the Packer Week thing is always fun to indulge in. You go back in the days of yesteryear with Tim Harris, you know, running around with the towel hanging out of his his uh, his, his football pants with the, the, the numbers of the quarterbacks he had injured and of course him hitting Jim McMahon I mean yeah Packers Bears is, is important right Halloween right when I forget the dude's name Tanny but the, my man with the mullet that that embarrassed all of us on Monday Night Football the man's name Mike <laughs> Pantanzas Mike Pantanzas exactly the the most Chicago name you could probably get he jumps in from the stand to catch an extra point I believe not even a field goal I think it was an extra point that he caught uh as he jumped from the stands to you know 25 feet to not his death uh not even a sprained ankle on that young man because Monday Night Football got caught up with him afterwards but I remember the Robert Brooks 99 yard touchdown like there's been you know I remember Edgar Bennett kicking the shit out of the Bears defense like 
like twice a year, and then you'd be like, oh, Edgar Bennett finished with 500 yards, and 240 of it was against the Chicago Bears. So the whole hammer versus the nail kind of rivalry vibe, it's been for much of my adult life. And I guess it's, was it 101 to 100 or something like that? This is the 202nd meeting, if I'm not mistaken, and the oldest rivalry in the NFL's history. So, yeah, it's, there's a certain level of uh, – of uh, gravity for just the the novelty of the NFL and the novelty of uh, you know Bears rivalries. Yeah, this is this means something because you're going to have the old time music. You're going to have photos of Dick Buckus and you know of course George Hallis and Vince Lombardi and Reggie White and all the pack, great Packers from yesteryear and of course all the great Bears from yesteryear. So we know what it's going to be, right? We know what the production is going to be, and then the game is going to be played. And the game's going to be played by an up-and-coming young quarterback, hopefully a star of the future for Bears fans and Justin Fields, and, of course, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers. And for me, uh, there are only like four or five that I put in Aaron Rodgers' class, right? Like Tom Brady, of course. And then, for me, it's, you get to the lofty heights of Dan Marino and John Elway, guys who I watched as a kid, and I'm like, they throw the ball differently. And, of course, Elway had the, the mobility to move around and make plays you know extend if they were broken uh Dan Marino not so much early in his career he could move a little bit but later in that career you know those knees were bad he was he looked like a mummy out there but he could still fling the ball Aaron Rodgers has that kind of vibe and he just has one Super Bowl so that's the knock against him but if you look at Tom Brady's defenses and of course Ryan Shazier and James Jones who are my partners on the Tuesday NFL Ringer show uh the players edition they always talk about Tom Brady's defenses you go back and he's always had a top 10 defense when he was playing on a Super Bowl winning team, you know, Aaron Rodgers has not had those luxuries in terms of management finding and developing enough talent for him either on the defensive end or in the running game or receiver wise, but not this time. They got themselves a decent enough defense, although I think the Bears can take advantage of those corners, to be honest with you. Uh, Kevin King, uh, I believe, is going to be down. Jair Alexander, you got to see his, got to see what his uh, participation will be because I think he's down as well. They're going to be counting on guys named Quentin Dunbar, Rasul Douglas, and guys like that. So if, if Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney are going to pick any game on the schedule to get open in these first five or six weeks, <clears throat> you'd think it would be earlier in the season, but, you know, obviously – Denzel Ward shut down, uh, you know, Allen Robinson. And, of course, they had nine sacks, so Justin Fields couldn't really go anywhere with the football. And in this last game, they pounded you out, but there's no David Montgomery. And then we get to the backfield. That's where we get to the meat of this situation because I think this is what's going to dictate the game. You know, Khalil Herbert and Craig Knoll are the guys that are going to have to hold this thing down because Damian Williams has been put on the COVID-19 restricted list. And, you know, there's been nobody to come back this quick from the, the COVID-19 list this season in terms of getting uh, a positive test or getting a contact tracing situation and then being vaccinated and then testing negative enough to get up to game day to play. So we don't know his vaccination status. We don't know how the subsequent tests have gone uh, for one Damian Williams. So it's going to be interesting to see if Khalil Herbert can hold it down. Not, not solo, obviously, but Craig Nall is a, you know, a, a pass catching fullback. Ryan Nall. My bad. It's not 
Craig Knoll is Ryan Knoll. But I'm sorry, I'm disrespecting the the Knoll family and Mr. Knoll. But it, it is Ryan Knoll, not Craig Knoll. So it may be Knoll for not anyway. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. It's on the sword for you right there. There it is. The black Johnny Carson and the even whiter Ed McMahon sitting next to me, Chris Tenney. <laughs> Oh my God! All null for not. Jesus Christ! So yeah, so yeah. Ryan Null, so, and and shout out to anybody named Craig Null out there. But yeah, Ryan Null is is a, a guy who you don't want to see have too many carries. Let's just keep it funky. And and this Bears offensive line is feeling good about themselves now. A couple games where they've been able to not just move the pile, but you know, uh, shout out to the highlight videos being put out with James Daniels obliterating linebackers and. Jason Peters putting his elbow in the safeties. Like, there's, there's a little bit of a swagger and a little bit of toughness that is being purported about this offensive line that obviously wasn't the case in the first couple of weeks. So that's where we sit with it. Can Allen Robinson get open? Can Darnell Mooney get open? Is this line going to ha- give Justin Fields enough time? Is Justin Fields going to have a lot of passes on his plate? Like, will, will you know, Willie Beam, a.k.a. Bill Lazor, uh, will he – Give the offense over a little bit more to the young man. Are they gonna? Are we gonna see new things? You know, are we gonna see different? Uh, you know, is it gonna be the the variety of the RPO game that I'm hoping for? You know, for two games in a row now, he, he you've allowed him to run the RPO stuff, but he's given that ball to the running back more times than not. Uh, that that lineman isn't crashing down and taking the cheese. Right. So if his reads are what they're supposed to be, I think Justin Fields could figure out how to get himself at least, you know, with his feet, he should be getting at least two or three first downs a game. And I know this is going to be, you know, something that we're going to evaluate throughout the season. But when, when you're as athletic as he is, anytime somebody's running man against you and you can break contain, yeah, man, go ahead and get those first downs. There was a moment, there was a couple of moments, a couple of third downs that I can remember uh, in last week's game against the Las Vegas Raiders where he's, he's thinking about keeping his eyes downfield and, you know, staying in a good foundational base as a quarterback when he's outside of the pocket. But, hey, man, go ahead and pick him up. But make sure that you get down because we don't need any hyperextensions of any knees or any, you know, square shots that he's taken over the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, you know what you do? You watch number 12 on the other side of the field. You you watch him and see how he operates. When's the last time y'all saw Aaron Rodgers uh, take a square shot? You know, not just something in the pocket where he gets obliterated because the pass pro isn't good, but when he gets outside. And he gets outside of the numbers quite often. This is another thing, too. We're going to see what Sean Desai is all about in terms of his temperament because you see it often. Steve Spagnuolo the other day was watching the game. You know, you could tell when he was like, all right, I'm getting tired of this shit. I got to send somebody, right? Like, you could tell when certain defensive coordinators are like, okay, I'm not just going to let you sit, sit around and pick us apart and then all of a sudden dink and dunk it for seven, eight yards and then get greedy and take one over the top because we're tired of being in this shell coverage. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Robert Quinn does and Khalil Mack off that foot injury, what would both of them get done against you know an offensive line that has played better than you would think it would without David Bakhtieri and some of the usual cast of characters, but at the same time is a youthful one. Like, this has to be the Eddie Goldman game. This has to be the Robert Quinn game. And if Khalil Mack can get in there and cause any havoc or wreak any havoc or half the havoc that he wreaked against the Las Vegas Raiders, then you, you, you're feeling good about things. Because if you can hold this, this Aaron Rodgers-led offense to – 
24 or under, somewhere around there. I think you got a decent enough chance to win this ball game if you put it in the hands of Justin Fields often enough. But Khalil Herbert and and Ryan Nall, not Craig Nall, but Khalil Herbert and Ryan Nall are gonna have to. You can't bail on the running game even if you're you know in second and seven or third and six a lot. You got to make sure that those attempts, those carries are, are at least piling up a little bit. I know if if you're Bill Lazor, you're looking at that secondary for the Green Bay Packers and saying to yourself, we can get something done out there on the perimeters because they got a lot of guys on the perimeters down, right? You, Jair Alexander, as I mentioned, Kevin King, like what, what are they going to do when the third and fourth and fifth corner are playing out there and playing major snaps? So it, it's going to be interesting to see the, the cautionary approach that uh, or I should say the caution field approach that Sean Desai or Bill Lazor or both take in this game plan. One on one side because you don't want to blitz Aaron Rodgers too much. You don't want to get greedy on him. And then on the other side, how much of this game are you going to put into Justin Fields' hands with no David Montgomery and, of course, no Damian Williams because of the COVID-19 situation. And as we wrap up this segment, uh, we were talking a lot about Aaron Rodgers. We all know how great he is. And this may be one of the last times that we see him facing off against the Chicago Bears. Wherever he ends up next year because it feels like it's not going to be Green Bay. You don't know if they're going to be on the Bears schedule. Who knows? I don't think he's going to Minnesota. right? I don't think he's going to Detroit. Right. And I don't think he's going to be a Chicago Bear. And speaking of speaking of Tanny, he actually he spoke about what he likes about Chicago and, and his his feud between he and the Chicago Bears over the last 10, 12 years. I mean, I don't think they're extremely uh, happy with me. They're not very cordial most of the time, but I respect that. I mean, I respect the, it's a great sports town. They got two, uh, two baseball teams, a basketball team that I grew up cheering for. Um, I don't know how it was for, for you guys, but when I was growing up, one of the few channels we had on TV was WGN. And so you got to watch like Cubs baseball, you know, and, and, uh, and some, some Bulls basketball games for whatever reason. So you naturally became a fan, I think, because I was a big sports fan, and that was the only thing that was on TV. Um, for years, you know, when we played down there, I would, the night before, go on a long walk and often walk to, uh, uh, to dinner. Uh, Mastro's was where I went to dinner for years and years and years in a row. And on one of those walks, you know, a random mom and son, even though I'm all bundled up, you know, wearing a sweatshirt because freezing and a, you know, winter hat and stuff, they recognized me and we walked for, I don't know, four or five blocks together. So that was, that was a nice, uh, a nice chance meeting. But I've always, you know, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the city, um, enjoyed the fans, even though they haven't really enjoyed me. It's fine. Um, I get it. Maybe there'll be a little, uh, little more love when my time comes to an end playing here. But uh, I do have a lot of respect for the city and, and the sports, uh, sports fans I got there. Could you see yourself ever playing there when your time comes no. playing here? No. Hard no. It's just not going to happen, man. Like, what is he going to say right there? Eh, maybe next year. Maybe they can boot the kid that they tra- traded up to draft in Justin Fields and all of a sudden get one or two more years out of me. This is the thing, too. I've never disliked Aaron Rodgers the way some people have uh, because he's too cool. You know what? He's earned it. 
man. Like, when you're that much of a badass, you can do whatever you want to do. And it, obviously not whatever you want to do. But, yeah, man, I got no problem with him being too cool for school. I mean, he, he operates on a different plane than most of us do in terms of how good he is at his gig compared to how good everybody else is at theirs. And if he would have two or three more Super Bowl wins, I, I think we would have more of this conversation about who the best quarterback of this generation is. But we're not going to have that conversation because uh, the guy that we can all agree is the best quarterback is a seven-time Super Bowl winner and has been to, what, ten of them? So uh, shout-out to Tom Brady and his legacy and playing with that organization. And by the way, by the way, this is, this is how my brain works, Chris Tannehill. Craig Knoll, by the way, uh, former Green Bay Packers quarterback Craig Knoll, good old number 16. So uh, I, I wonder if he and Ryan are any relation. Yeah, check that out a little bit later. But yeah, that's Aaron Rodgers. He had also he had something else to say, right? He, he, we got another clip of Aaron Rodgers that we were going to run. Go ahead and run it, Danny. Yeah, he was asked if he could name all of the Bears' starting quarterbacks oh, yeah. that played uh, <laughs> during Aaron Rodgers' era as a Packer, and uh, it was not many. Jay Cutler, Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman. Oh, Mitch. Four. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> there it is. Much respect to the quarterbacks who I've kicked the shit out of for the last decade and a half. So going back to it, he's got he got Rex in there, right? Right. So he's got Rex. I'm gonna go down this Wikipedia list of quarterbacks. What what year did did the good sir Aaron Rodgers come into the NFL? Is that 05, I think. 05? Okay, so yeah. He's got Kyle Orton, he's got Rex Grossman, uh, who battled it out for you know, a few years there. And then you got Brian Greasy on that list as well. And then you get Jake Cutler and Todd Collins. Ooh, Jake Cutler, Caleb Haney, and Josh McCown. How would you like to be in that quarterback room, right? Then you get Jake Cutler. Oh, Jason Campbell. Oh, brother. Uh, is, is Alden Why? Smith still sitting on his head on Monday Night Football? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember that? That was horrendous. I felt like, so bad about, for that guy. Think, Dude, how many times have we said that about the Bears offense or quarterback? Like, that was horrendous, and I felt so bad. On Monday Night Football. <laughs> right. Or Thanksgiving. You know, we're playing the Packers. Oh, my God. Like, for all the things that people think about Bears football, like, across the nation, and it's, like, it's 85 and it's Brian Urlacher. Other than that, like, it's, it's hard to put anything together for anybody nationally that they can respect. Uh, Cutler. And, oh, the Jimmy Clausen era. So Jay, Jay Cutler and Jimmy Clausen were in that room. And then, oh, 2016. Who could forget Jay Cutler, Brian Hoyer, and Matt Barkley teaming up for 16 games of premium NFL quarterbacking action. Then Mitchell Trubisky and Mike Glennon took over in 2017. Mitchell and Chase, Mitchell and Chase, Mitchell and Nick Foles. And now you got Justin Fields and Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. So God bless Aaron Rodgers for seeing and beating all of these quarterbacks here in my Chicago Bears fandom lifetime. Uh, this is uh, this this is going to be a tough game, but I think it's going to be a close game. I'm not going to – I don't think the Bears are going to win this game. Uh, the, the opening line I think was at four. I'm sure that's moved since the injury report has come out. 
Uh, but I, I think the Bears going to stay within a touchdown, but I, I, I think it's going to be an ugly game. I, I do. I, I think this is going to be one of those games where Aaron Rodgers is efficient, doesn't turn over the, the football, and Devontae Adams has a couple of touchdowns because he's like the best receiver in football that we still don't hail as the best receiver in football. Uh, but the Bears defense. Jalen Johnson, a big matchup this weekend. Dude, Adams. dude. And not just him, like, because Marquez Van, Valdez Scantling, or, you know, I think I mixed. Is it Valdez Marquez or Marquez Valdez? But it's, it's something. Anytime a Valdez is in a brother's name, then you know there's some pimping going on. Like, that's, that's how I feel about it. Uh, MVS, I think, is what Wayne Larrabee calls him. And he, Wayne Larrabee's doing his 74th Bears Packers game this weekend. Jesus. 74. Hey, think, think about this, Tanny. I remember a time where Wayne wasn't considered the Packers guy. Like right and and Aaron Rodgers talked about watching those Bulls games on WGN with Larravee on the call for a lot of those. You know, yes, yes, yes. Like I remember when Wayne jumped over to the other side and you're like, all right. Oh, do you remember the infamous moment where uh, we had Wayne Larravee on and he he thought I was a player and he, he kept he kept referring to me player. No, 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 no. He, he would never confuse me for a player. No, he uh, Wayne was a hard ER guy in that moment, but in a good way. In a, in a, in a, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. There's no emails that we should talk about, but in a hard, in a hard ER player way. Wait, yeah, training camp saying, saying. No, we were on the phone with him from the studio, and this dude kept referring to like Jason. You know how it is in Lambeau Field in December. I'm like, uh, no, but okay. Yes. And then we picked yes, up I do. on it. Right, we picked up on it that he thought I was a former player because God forbid a brother be in the booth that didn't play football before. I was sitting there laughing my ass off, and every time we had Wayne on, I would I would go along with the the fact that I played NFL football and I know what all these Bears Packers rivalries are about. So shout out to Wayne Larravee, who's been the Packers guy way longer than he's been the the Bears guy, but still a dude who uh, we respect in the broadcast industry. All right, we'll hear more from Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur as to what he has on his plate with Khalil Mack and Eddie Goldman and the rest of that Bears defense that's been playing some top-notch ball over the last couple of weeks. This episode is brought to you by Viore. If you're sick and tired of your old traditional workout gear, then I have two words that will change everything. Viore clothing. This line of active wear is truly unbelievable. And here's why. Look, You've seen me. You've seen the shorts I do on YouTube. I walk around. I do stuff. I listen to podcasts when I walk. I make calls when I walk. I like to wear comfortable workout equipment, you know, like nothing nuts, just like a really nice pullover, comfortable pants to walk around. Viore is designed to work out in whatever you're doing, but it doesn't look or feel like you're working out at all. It's so freaking soft and comfortable. You'll never want to take it off. And here's the best part. You don't have to take it off. Wear Viore clothing to train, travel, or lounge around the house. I do a lot of lounge around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash ringer. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash ringer. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hey guys, this is Ozzy Guillen and you are listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff on the ringer in a spot five. Fastball, high fly to left. 
is not going to get Brzezinski in. Merton, stutter step, he's under it, makes the catch. Brzezinski tags. Here comes the throw home. It is safe at home plate. Brzezinski knocked over the catcher, Barrett. Oh, there's a fight behind home plate. Both benches have emptied. This is going to go on. Barrett punched Brzezinski right in the grill. Now everybody's out, and here come the bullpen. This is the four goal. All right, it's time now for us to bring in another guest. And I won't say friend of the program because I have never gotten a chance to interview A.J. Przinsky and doing, what, 16 years of local radio at The Score and, you know, other stints, various different outlets, ESPN, Bleacher Report, all the other things. I finally get a chance to sit down with the man and one of the guys, actually, who brought uh, my favorite team, and the city, a lot of glory in 2005. AJ, thank you so much for joining the Full Go Podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. I wish it was a little bit better circumstances, but you know. Yeah, yeah. So let's get right to it. Uh, you got a chance with my man Adam Amin and Adam Wainwright. And I'll, I'll say this before we get into the series. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the broadcast. And it's not just because you're on. I was actually tweeting about it. Like, there are very few broadcasts where – you can feel like you're just lining up with dudes who are at the game with you, but also teaching you about the game. And that's how it felt with the three of you guys. Uh, when that kind of chemistry happens, can you feel it? Do you already know it? Like what goes into that? Not just the, the planning for a game, but knowing when a guy is going to be quiet or knowing when a guy is going to give you some space to get off your, whatever you got to get off or knowing that maybe Adam Wainwright doesn't have all that experience in it. So how is that different for him? Like what, what goes into that as being a former player, but also the broadcast side of it and making it sound so smooth? Well, lucky, first of all, you're with great people, right? Not only Adam and Adam, we, we had to call one Wayno and the other Amin because <laughs> yeah. people in our ears, you know, when you're doing TV, they're like, Adam, Adam. And you're like, wait, which Adam? So we had to go with Wayno and Amin just to make sure we didn't confuse each other. Uh, but uh, but those guys are great. And then our whole crew is amazing from Aaron Stoikoff and uh, Mitch Riggins, our director, and, and all the guys behind the scenes that nobody even hears of. Uh, but the best part is we were sitting next to each other. Uh, we like each other, which is the, be- the best thing ever. When you're doing a broadcast and you like the other two guys, and, and I mean really like those two guys. Uh, I, I enjoy being around those guys. Those are guys I'd hang out with if we weren't at a baseball game, uh, Adam Amin is the, uh, probably, you know, one of the best broadcasters, young broadcasters going right now, uh, does yep. the bulls, as you know, uh, did ESPN for a long time. It's pretty much done every sport. Uh, the only problem I see with Adam Amin is he's a, a Cubs fan, which is the problem we always <laughs> joked about. Right. Um, but no, we, I mean, we can talk football cause he does the NFL for Fox. We can talk basketball bulls. We can talk, baseball except for the Cubs we could talk uh, whatever you want to talk about he's he's got it and then Wayne is a guy I played with and I know his I know his, everything uh you know his, the way he talks is yeah his his everything that he's gonna you know not that he's gonna say but I have an idea and then the one thing good that, that, that Wayne did was he he, he said it. he's like look I'm the third wheel and I'm gonna try to stay out of as much as possible I'll add my my two cents in but he did a great job of like when we he knew when we wanted him to say something he jumped right in and Man, I've never seen anybody eat as much as Adam Wainwright did in those two games either. <laughs> yeah, he knocked down what, like a, a foot long <laughs> Polish. He, I, oh. I, he hit the nacho helmet. Like he he touched all the bases to to not use the uh, baseball analogy, but yeah. Oh, he was trying to eat everything in the ballpark <laughs> after the first game, and he brought up the nacho helmet. They brought him nacho helmets. He's like, man, I'm going to say everything on there: ice cream, Polish, <laughs> Cuban sandwich. He was trying to get everything up in our booth. 
<laughs> yeah, man, it's always fun when, when you, you're having fun, like I said, but also delivering the action. Um, the game felt cool. It didn't feel stale. And even in, like, the long-ass game. The, the, that, that Which one? The, they the both first one. <laughs> the first one when it was like four right. hours and 15 minutes, I even tweeted it out. I'm like, this shit would be horrible if they had old-school, like, stale-ass broadcasts on here. <laughs> but it's amazing that, that it didn't feel like that. Um so let's talk about the series, man. Uh, you know, my my head was telling me Houston. My heart obviously was telling me the White Sox. And it came down to contact, picking up the baseball, and and capitalizing on the little things. That's why this team is a dynasty, right? Five straight LCSs. I believe the Atlanta Braves in 91 to 99 are the only team to have more LCS uh, bursts. Um, I, I – I don't see the weakness in this team, aside from maybe the bullpen, uh, but that they got beat by a better team. Can you sum it up any any more than that, or is some intricacies that you saw? You, you, what you just said is the truest statement you could say. They got beat by a better team. Houston, 1 through 26, is a better team yeah. than the White Sox right now. Uh, now, they lost McCullers possibly for the rest of this postseason which is a huge blow to them because he's their by far their best starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, their manager, I don't know if you've ever got a chance to talk to Dusty Baker, but he is one of the best guys to talk to in the world. Always smiling, always laughing, always positive. Uh, just a genuinely good human being. Um, and, and the thing is, their lineup is so good. They never give it back. I mean, the game they lost, they lost 12 to 6. They scored six runs. It wasn't like <laughs> – they went out and, and were lost 12 to nothing. I mean, they lost 12 to six, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they scored runs every game in that series. I mean, they pounded whoever the White Sox brought in, whatever move Tony LaRusso tried to make, whether you agree if it was the right move or the wrong move, everyone they brought in got hit and got hit hard. So it, it wasn't, I mean, I think the only guy who got unscathed was uh, Tapera. Uh, but, or no, he actually even gave up a run too in the last game. So, I mean, everybody the White Sox brought in got hit and got hit hard. It was just a relentless line. I mean, you look at that lineup one through seven, Crazy. And, and even eight, even eight with Myers and McCormick. I mean, you throw out uh, Martin Maldonado. I think he got one hit in the series. It was a huge hit, but I mean, he was like one for fifteen, right? Right. The rest of the lineup was like six for fifteen with damage and, and stolen bases and RBIs and home it was runs. the Kyle Tucker series. <laughs> I, well, dude, he, he listen. If you've never heard of Kyle Tucker. You need to start looking him up because the year he put together this year, yeah. if he does that for a couple of years, we'll be talking about him as a possible MVP. Mm, mm. And then, like, Jose Altuve is not going to get any older, seemingly. Like, he's been he's been like in this <laughs> well, veteran this. window for 10 years, don't, right? <laughs> don't chant F. Altuve anymore. I know that after that hey, ball hit in the last inning. Be careful. Hey. Yeah, dude, the last thing you want to do, especially after seeing like the last dance when we were shut down in the pandemic, like last thing you want to do is is get the attention of a great player. And I don't know if that means in baseball, like, for instance, let me, you know what? I'm glad you're here. Let me talk to you about some things that I've always wanted to talk to a, a baseball guy about. The term clutch, what does that mean to you? Because you, we'll talk to people who say, hey, small sample size, you hit what you're going to hit if it was you know, extrapolated over the course of you know, 400 plate appearances or 162 games. You're going to hit what you're going to hit. But I, like Steve Stone has always said, hey, there's certain people, certain guys who hit ones and twos, certain guys who hit fours and fives. Now, during the regular season, you're going to see your fair share of both. But in the postseason, you're going to see a lot of ones and twos. How do you feel about the word clutch and how it is applied to baseball? Oh, I'll tell you this. Give me nine guys that can get a hit off a closer with two outs in the ninth and a guy on second. 
and I'll beat your team of nine superstars that can't do that. So I'll, I'll take nine clutch guys over nine guys and put up numbers against fours and fives all day. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that, that's the hardest to define and the hardest to find is guys that want to be up in those big situations, right? Uh, listen, Carlos Correa, you, you know, people have different opinions on him, but you get on him and you give him something to, to, to fuel his fire, he's yeah. going to show you. I mean, he showed you in the series against the White Sox, right? Altuve, Bregman, I mean, these guys have a whole list of them because they're used to it now, and they kind of thrive off of it. So, again, we always used to joke, Greg Walker, one of our old hitting coaches with the White Sox, you know, he's like, he goes, give me the guy that can get a hit off the closer with two outs of the ninth and the run, winning run on third or the tying run on third. And he's like, I'll go beat your team with nine regular guys. And I agree 100%. The more I've watched baseball, there's just certain guys, and they might not be big-name guys. They might be smaller-name guys. Uh, but there are guys that want to be up in that situation. And you wouldn't believe it, but there are guys that don't want to be up in big situations. As much as people say, hey, man, I, wanna, I, want, to, I want the spotlight on me. And it's stars. Oh, yeah. I've heard stars say it. There's guys that shy away. I mean, if you see it, I'm sure you've seen it in basketball and uh, in football and other sports. There's guys don't want that last shot, right? There's guys that don't want the ball thrown to them to win the game. There's those guys, and that's uh, that, there is something to the clutch team. There's not an algorithm. They haven't found an algorithm yet to <laughs> right, quantify right. it, but trust me, it's there. So it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I when I was in Atlanta, I worked with former coach of the year and just a solid dude, Sam Mitchell, who does a lot of NBA TV stuff. We were doing NBA radio on Sirius XM for a little bit, and I'll never forget. And I won't disclose the player that he was talking about, but he he said, "Jay, for three quarters straight." This dude is shooting every single shot. He's he's going crazy. And I'm like, oh man, like I, I kind of remember this game actually. It's a playoff game. And he goes, fourth quarter come around. I ain't touched that bitch all game long. And in the <laughs> last moment, he's like, he swung it to him and he's like, nah, play it. This is coming right back to you because you have been carrying us for three quarters. And he said he got a shot clock violation in, in the second to last possession of the game because he didn't want to shoot it. And I said to I knowing who the player it wasn't like holy crap like this dude's a 150 million dollar play this that you know what i mean like that you don't oh, yeah. think that guys are gonna in those moments think to themselves damn the pressure is too much or this moment is too much but like you said there's certain guys who don't want to be up 2-0 against a closer and think i'm gonna have to actually put the ball in play here i mean i know that i'm gonna get something to hit in a, in a you know in a pitch leverage kind of situation or a count leverage kind of situation those guys exist in the major leagues huh Oh, 100% they exist. You'd be shocked. Uh, uh, you know, here, I as think, a catcher, I think, as a catcher, did oh. you did you know, like, all right, I know this dude is the, the oh, guy was, that everybody in this stadium fears, but I know we, we oh, can yeah. get him out with? Trust me, there was times, like, where I – take 2005, right? Uh, we were yeah. playing the Red Sox. We're up 2-0. We're up two run, two or three runs in the last game to, to sweep them and end them. And uh, I believe Renteria was up to bat and David Ortiz was on deck. And I'm just thinking in my head, I just don't want David Ortiz up because he'll hit a home run, tie the game or something. We got to get, we got to get Renteria. I think it was Renteria. We got to get him out because I don't want the next guy. And it's listen, a damn good player too. Right. Renteria won the World Series, right? Like, right. I mean, he got, he got the hit in 97 to win the World Series for the Marlins. Like he's been up in those situations. But then you look on deck and you say, man, I don't want to face David right here. Right. Uh, I mean, but then there was times, and I'm going to mention your names, you look on deck and you say, huh. I'll take that dude up right now because I know I can get him out. And he's, you know, there's some stars that you're like, I, I know I can get that guy out in this situation. So, uh, mm -hmm. and then there'd be like a lesser guys that you're thinking to yourself, man, that guy comes up. We in, we're in trouble right now because he's going to figure out a way to get the run in. And it just, it's weird like that. But, you know, it's also, I think with the media today and 
social media and everyone having a brand, you know, if you don't ever get up in those situations and you don't ever fail, then you don't ever have to read about it the next day. Right. Or you don't mm-hmm. have to answer questions after the game. Like, Oh, how'd you strike out with the bases loaded? Well, guess what? I did a lot. And you know what? It's going to happen again. If I ever get another bad, if I ever play another baseball game, it's going to happen. And uh, it just is, it's part of it. Some people love answering those questions and can deal with it. And some people can, I think that's the difference. So, if you're talking to a Sox fan like you are right now, uh, I'm not jumping off of any ledges. This this team has a whole bunch of uh, con- contract controlled is talent that is getting ready to grow together, right? This is the first couple bites at the apple. You hope that there's another five, six years to this run. Uh, but what would you tell a White Sox fan in terms of it, how this team could shore itself up and be better positioned for going up against the better teams in the American league. Cause let's face it, this division seemingly is going to be the white Sox for the next couple of years, at least. Oh, of course. Uh, I, I mean, I said it, I did a thing yesterday on, uh, I think it was WGN radio where I said, okay, you can go ahead and pop the champagne for the white Sox next year, unless something crazy happens in that division. Cause they're going to win that division. They should now, unless air injuries or something crazy happens and some teams go out, which haven't been known for spending a ton of money and bringing some guys, the division is the White Sox for the next at least year or two mm-hmm. uh, because of the core they have, because of the team they have now. Could they make some upgrades? Absolutely. Could they upgrade second base? Could they upgrade right field? Could they upgrade another starting pitcher if Rodon leaves? Could they find another piece in the bullpen if they don't keep Craig Kimbrell? Of course. But, you know, even if they don't find those pieces, you put, you know, Leori Garcia at second base and you put Sheets and maybe Vaughn in right field or, whatever you have to do. I mean, they're still the favorites to win this division by double digits. They should win this division by 10 games uh, right now. I, you know, never know what's going to happen, but right now they should. So I, I think the bigger thing for them is they need to figure out a way to get more consistency from everybody in the lineup. Cause a lot of their guys are up and down. Now, Abreu has been great pretty much his whole career. Tim Anderson, you know, has, has been pretty good, but a lot of the other guys are very up and down. Luis Roberts coming in to be an absolute stud. Yeah. Uh, as he keeps getting game, I mean, he's going to be an absolute animal here when he gets all the experience and figures out exactly what pitchers are doing. And he, he's going to be an, an animal. You don't, nobody's going to want to have to deal with him. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, listen, they, they have a lot of pieces, right? Uh, you know, you have to think though they're adding another year on Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn's a little bit, and I love Lance Lynn, but he's a little bit older, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Keiko's going to be another year older and he couldn't even make the playoff roster. Uh, will Rodon be back? Uh, Cease, though, gained a lot of experience this year. Uh, Giolito, another year under his belt. So, uh, who you know, who's going to take the next step? Is there some young kids they're going to bring in? Or are they going to sign a pit starting pitcher? Uh, listen, they have all the pieces, so I would say White Sox fans, calm down. Uh, get ready for next year, next couple years. But at the same time, listen, this was a great opportunity for them to win. And I thought they actually had a chance against the Astros because the Astros starting pitching I didn't think was that great, but then you get two great games by McCullers and basically you're down 2-0 and, and Framber Valdez, you know, he didn't pitch great, but they scored a bunch of runs off the, the right. bullpen. So I think that was the most disappointing part. Um, I thought they had a chance with against the Astros, but hey, next year's a new year and they got to start over. What would you do with Michael Kopech? Uh, like you've seen his stuff, you, can, you know, can he, start, can, he, can he start? That's my first you always want to find starters, right? Because usually the bullpen is guys that are failed re- starters. They become relievers. It always has been in the past. Um, can he start? One. If he can, stay healthy. And does he want to start? Uh, because the way they used him this year, kind of like Crochet, was very 
carefully, right? He pitched a couple innings and you get two or three days off and then you pitch three innings and you get three days off or, you know, that's great when you're winning a division by 10 games, but in the postseason, you kind of saw it where he came back after only a day. His stuff wasn't as good. The velocity was there, but his stuff wasn't as sharp. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, I prefer him to be a starter if he wants to do that and he can do that. Now, if he can't, then yeah, you stick him back in the bullpen, you use him as a weapon. AJ Przinsky joining us here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And of always, Spotify is the gang. All right, so AJ, January 6, 2005 is a momentous day in uh, White Sox history because it was, it was the day that you were signed. Uh, it was the Uh-oh. day that you, be- yeah, it was the day that you became a Chicago White Sox. And I'm not even going to BS you. As a, as a White Sox fan, hated you hated your guts like those twins teams you knew every time especially in the hump dome you knew the twins are going you know <laughs> contact you to death or if it was the johan game you knew you hey all they need is one because that change up was going to baffle everybody uh you know from from every garden hire to every you know ozzy calling the piranhas like it was it was bad anytime i saw that twins uniform it was bad then all of a sudden aj presents he becomes a member of the chicago white Sox, and then by the way you go on to win a World Series. You look at that that locker room. I'm sorry, that clubhouse. I should say. Uh, you know, I was at the score at the time, and you know, we uh, old tell coming up to the to the station late at night and doing you know random interviews or Aaron Rowan or Carl Everett and all these guys. Like, what what was different about that White Sox experience, especially on the run to the World Series? Well, you're talking about when I first signed with the White Sox, right? So I went yeah. to the, so- the Sox Fest my first year. And I had been raised a twin, right? Like, I mean, I was signed by the Twins, came up with the Twins organization, played against the White Sox. Like, we hated the White Sox. Like, I mean, hated them. Because all they did, we thought all they did was talk and talk and talk and talk. And we just went out and beat their ass all the time, right? And we're like, man, will they ever stop talking? Like, all the time. It was a nonstop. Like, oh, we're better than them. And we go out and beat them 15 out of 19 times. And we're like, well, we went 15 and four against y'all. I think we're better. You know? So it was like, gosh, they'll never shut up. But. So then I sign with the White Sox and I go to Sox Fest and I'm with my wife and we pull up in the car from the airport and there's just White Sox junk everywhere, right? Like shirts and hats. And and we just looked at each other and my wife's like, this is weird, isn't it? I'm like, this is so awkward right now. Like, this is like one of the most awkward. I'm going to get out of this car and I got to act like I like the White Sox, right? Like, I hated the White Sox. <laughs> You know, like I mean, I, still, I so like, you're still in the in the throes of like I compete yeah. against these guys. I shouldn't yes. be here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you're humans, right? You're human beings, and yeah. And, and I mean, I was mad at the White Sox they didn't draft me out of high school because Hawk was a good buddy of mine. He's like, they're going to draft you, and then they didn't. Yeah. Right. So I was a little bit. There was still a little bit of bitterness about that, and uh, you know, and then I end up coming over here and I start. You know, I knew Burley and I knew Canerco and I knew some of the other guys on the team a little bit, but not. Not a ton, but then, I mean, what was different is we just all got along. And listen, I don't mean we always all got along because we didn't always all get along. But we could get could get over it, right? Like, we could get over it and move on the next day. And we were one just collective group um, that I, I've, I've, I've been – you know, they say winning makes chemistry better. It does, but from the day one of spring training there, it just felt like we were all on the same page. And that's the only time I've probably ever been a part of a team that everybody from day one just bought in. There was no selfishness. It was whatever I could do to help win and uh, carried over to a World Series title. 
Yeah, yeah. It was a great uh, a great year in the, the World Series that nobody remembers, apparently, outside of Chicago, because any time it gets <laughs> brought up. Yeah, ESPN forgot that one time, and then, you know, it's the lowest rated World Series. I don't give a damn. I had a ball. I had an absolute great time. We we went up to the station that night, and we were taking phone calls for until like four in the morning from Sox fans who were crying and all that stuff. It was it was great. We actually had Ozzie Guillen on this uh, pod very early. You know, we're only in episode 16 right now, but very early in the pod, we had Ozzie Guillen on, and he talked about not just that ride, but the, the group of guys, you know, in this present day, in terms of baseball and sports, um, how is the clubhouse changed or changing as opposed to when you were playing? Or has it changed that much? And how do managers have to kind of dictate and navigate those waters in, a, in an ever-changing ecosphere of baseball with some of the unwritten rules being thrown out but still some of the old guard covering the game and being a part of the game? Like how, how, how are people in the game supposed to navigate those waters or how are they navigating those waters? Well, it's, it's definitely changed. Well, first of all, you got to remember when I came up, there was like no cell phones. So, I mean, let's just start with that, right? I mean, and like you spent four years in the minor leagues, which nobody yeah. does anymore, right? Yeah, so there was there was like AOL instant messenger still, you know, like you had a laptop and you had to plug it into your phone, which people, you know, a lot of people don't even remember. Uh, you had to dial up internet, so. You had the big uh, brick phone? You had the big dope uh, boy phone? Yeah. No, I couldn't even afford that. Are you kidding me? I mean, the first phone I got was one of those old Nokia, like brick, oh. like the, you know, that had the snake game on it, right? Like, and you had to count your you had to count your minutes, right? Because you got like a thousand minutes a month, so you had to count them to make sure you didn't go over. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, just stuff like that. That's changed. Um, you know, and then with the COVID stuff, it's really changed because yeah. guys get there later, right? They're they're more separated. But even at the end of my, I mean, I retired five years ago in six after the sixteen season, and it had already begun to change because, like I talked about earlier, it's about branding, right? Guys are all concerned about their brand. What does my brand look like? How What's my Instagram saying? What's my Twitter saying? What's my, you know, oh, I got a Snapchat and all this stuff, right? So it's all changed because, you know, we used to go to the bar after a game and sit at the hotel on the road and, you know, have a couple beers and talk about the game. And now guys want to go up and play video games. Like, you know, they all brought Xboxes with them and monitors so they could, you know, be the fastest one on, uh, you know, whatever the game they're Call playing. Call of Duty, right? Like Call of Duty or uh, what's the other one? Uh, FIFA. The, no, yeah, they played FIFA. Uh, Madden, so NBA 2 I'm just naming all the games that I have. So yeah, that's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the biggest the one that was so big where you like were a person, you ran around the world and you killed, I don't know what it's called. Uh, Grand uh, Theft Auto? Well, that was a good game. That was when I was playing. Uh, you had to play. Wait, AJ, to play you got to like stop a... talking like this, dog. You didn't play in the 50s now. Come on, man. No, like, but I mean, that was a Grand Theft Auto. Listen, I remember when Grand Theft Auto came, first came out. Uh, we it was like Goldeneye on Nintendo 64. Oh, remember Goldeneye? Yes, Dude, we sir. used to stay up for hours in the minor leagues playing that game because it was the first four person game. So, so four of us would stay up. So you sitting here decrying the fact yeah, that guys don't but, talk at the bar anymore. You was playing Goldeneye at, at, in the in the yeah, minors. but it was four of us. But it was four of us sitting in the same room. Now they go to their own room and play each other. Right? <laughs> I got you. I got you. So it's a little <laughs> bit different. Uh, but uh, you know. It, it's it's a little bit different in that guys don't hang around as much, hang out as much as they used to. They do, but it's a little just a different way of hanging out. And then right. with the camera phones, you just can't you can't you know go to the bar and have a beer because people, someone's going to take a picture. And you know yeah. if you're a player and you don't go out and get a hit the next day, people are going to say, "Oh, this guy was out drunk. He might have had one beer, you know, with dinner or something." So guys are much more worried about that kind of stuff and their image and what people think of them, which I get because that's the world we live in now. And yeah. uh, but but guys are much more talented, I would say now. 
because uh, they, I don't know about talented, but they're much more polished now because mm. of travel ball and because of the way they're raised in baseball. Like when I was a kid, man, we had little league and then you played for your high school. And then, you know, if you went to college, you got drafted and you were lucky enough and you went, but now these guys, like I got a 14 year old kid. He travels these tournaments, plays teams from all over the country. Right. And mm. that was never happening. Like if I saw a kid, a kid from like outside of my three, the three counties nearest me, I was like, Oh, look at this kid, man. Who's he, you know, we didn't have right, that stuff. Right. So, so that stuff's all changed. And uh, some say for the good, some say for the worst, but uh, you know, it's all part of it. And, and I, I like the way, the game is growing in the right way because it's fun now. I, I mean, I kind of, there's a lot of me that wishes I could have played now. Cause I, I mean, people who said I was a complete jackass before, I mean, all the celebrations <laughs> I could have done now, man, I would have, I would have had all kinds of fun times. Yeah. The choreographed celebrations from me. Yeah. It's great. I'm sure it would have been dope. <laughs> you know, it's so funny it. that you, it's so funny that you mentioned the travel ball and how it has changed the dynamic. Because I I used to try to explain this to people about basketball, where it's like, oh, these guys are joining up, and I'm like, bro, these dudes play. You know, there was a time when high school basketball, where the high school basketball coach was the most important person in the basketball player's life. Now it's the AAU coach, it's the handler, it's mom and dad, and then you may get to the high school basketball coach because these dudes, oh, everybody's joining up, and you know. Nobody has, you know, everybody fears competition like they grew up in the AAU system. So after your high school season is over, you going to play with the dude whose ass you were kicking in the all conference tournament or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, it's they the same in baseball. In this. Same is in that, baseball. Is that the same? The exact same. Oh, yeah. Like my son plays on a team here in Orlando and, you know, they were in a tournament last weekend in West Palm. They played a team from Chicago and they played a team from here and you know here and there michigan and florida yeah. and high schools you know, don't matter like i'm gonna I'm be on yeah, your team I mean, if you're good enough i mean high schools do matter uh i mean they do i think in baseball still more okay. than they do in a lot like my daughter plays volleyball and her club volleyball team which they travel around crazy too you think other sports are crazy but that girl's volleyball is, is awesome if you like because it's it's just crazy and uh competitive and, yeah, okay. uh, you know, they tra- they travel all around the country playing and playing teams from all over, teams from different high schools. And then they go to their high school team and they play each other and they battle. And then they, as soon as the season's over, they go right back to training together. Uh, you know, so that it matters on only the fact that, you know, you play with your friends, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're right. Your, your high school coach used to be like the end all be all. You're like, oh, man, my high school baseball coach is the coolest student in the world. Right. Right. Now right. people are like, oh, my high school baseball coach is just getting me extra practice for my travel ball team. Right. That's exactly what it is. Speaking of, uh, do you want to manage? Manage what? Your podcast? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, my <laughs> career. I mean, I, I can hand it over, give you that 7, 10% if you need. Uh, no, I like, do you want to manage uh, baseball? Baseball. I mean, I would. Wanna... I would. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, the right opportunity came along, I would do it. Uh, now, I can't tell you what that opportunity would be or where or when. Um, Might but be if somebody in Chicago came to me, one day. Well, if it was, then that'd be something I would be hard to turn down, right? Um, mm-hmm. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want you to manage my baseball team, I, there's only 30 of those dudes in the whole world, so how do you say no to that? Uh, I just know that it's very stressful. It's very hard. It's a lot of work, and you don't get a lot of credit, I feel like, a lot of times for the job you do because of the analytics stuff. And I think when you were talking about the clubhouse and how it's changed, that's the number one thing is – Guys are much more into the analytics now, not only the, the front offices, but the players. And so okay. they know more, right? They, they know more and they know what's going on. And they have agents who have the same numbers that the clubs have and they can't figure out why am I not playing? And then 
the club gives them a reason and their agent will say, well, you know, my numbers, my algorithm says you should be playing. Right. So I think people are more in tune with that. And I think the good managers, the great managers can blend those together, saying the analytics. And even if tell a guy, well, you're not playing, but this is the reason to make him understand, or you are playing. And this might be a bad matchup on paper, but you can make them feel like it's a good matchup. And I think that's what the guys who win consistently do better is they have an open line of communication with all the players, good or bad. Listen, I've been, I played for good managers. I played for bad managers. I played for whatever in between, however you feel about them. But like, say, take Ozzy Gein, like the line of communication would say whatever you want. But for me, I could go to Ozzy and, and get an answer. It might not be the answer I wanted to hear, but right. I could get an answer. Right. And that was fine. That's what I always said. Like, just give me something. Uh, I might not agree with it, but at least I can respect the fact that you give me the right an, an answer. Uh, and, and he was good about that. Um, you know, so that's what I think the communication thing with with managers now. It's you're not really a manager. You're a manager of feelings and you're a communicator of of philosophies and your thoughts more than anything else. It is. It is. AJ, as we let you go, we appreciate your time here, man. Best day of your career, worst day of your career. Best day of my career was winning the World Series, obviously. Uh, just because, I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? As a sports athlete, a mm -hmm. professional athlete, there's nothing better, right? Whatever sport you play, whether it's tiddlywinks or baseball or basketball or hockey or one of the big ones, right? If you get, you know, say you're an Olympic, you know, gymnast, right? You're, you win the gold medal, right? There's nothing you can do better than that ever, right? So that's obviously uh, number one. Uh, worst day in my career? Oh, man. Uh, you know what? You know, people are going to want me to say, like, uh, the Michael Bear fight or, nah, you know, nah. you know what? You know what the worst? Yeah, that's actually, why I didn't even great. ask you about that. No, you know, I, I know. You've, you've, <laughs> you've, but that was, a, that was actually a great day because more people talk to me about that than anything. Uh the worst day in my career, you know what? As sad as this is, and I don't mean to be sad at all because it's no, supposed to be fun. No, you got but, it. Like the, la the last day I played, I knew it was my last game. Nobody else in my family knew. The players on when I was with the Braves in 16, they knew it was going to be my last game. Nobody else knew. So it was a little bittersweet, uh, my last game. Uh, I actually got a hit my last at bat. I thought it was a walk-off hit. and I kind of celebrated. My teammates were making fun of me. ended up winning later because I got pinch ran for after that. But I thought it was – so that was kind of, you know, it was sad just because I knew it was yeah. over and I could never do it again, right? Uh, once you know, like, you do something your whole life and then it's gone, it's not like basketball. You go play pickup basketball game or, you know, right. soccer or whatever. You know, you can go run around the field or hockey. I mean, football, I guess, is about the closest thing ever. But, like, baseball, you, you'll ne I'll never step into a batter's box, right, again in front of 50,000, you know, Cub fans booing me every time I step on the field, right? That'll never happen again. So – it was, I knew it was over, but I was a little bit sad because you just, you know, you don't want it to end. Right. Yeah. You're well within your right, too, by the way, to be a little bit sad after, after doing something you love for so long and then all of a sudden it coming to an end. Uh, I was going to ask you, you know, if the Gators were ever going to start playing the, the kind of football <laughs> that you can, you can root uh, for again, uh, but we'll, 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 we'll save uh, that for go. the next appearance. <laughs> hey, listen, I still go. I got season tickets. I still go to the game. I know. Uh, I was at the Alabama game. That was good to see, and then they lose to Kentucky. So it's like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you make you take two steps forward, one step back. But uh, you know, they're they're they're. I feel like they're yeah. headed in the right direction. They're all right, but they're not. You know, as a, a fan of any team, like my wife went to Florida State, so you know, oh, they, they suck. They suck. So I'm all for <laughs> that part of it, right? She's like, they're never going to be good again. I'm like, I hope not, right? So as a fan of whatever, like you're a fan of the White Sox, right? They're in one of their runs right now right where they're good mm -hmm. and they had and they were bad 
So you always think like, okay, when they're bad, like we'll never get good again. Then when they're good, we're never going to be bad again. Right. I mean, right. the only team I've ever seen anything like that ever is, uh, you know, Alabama under Nick Saban. They're always just good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, or the Patriots uh, for the last 17 years. Right. Well, until they lost one guy. Right. I mean, and right, all of a sudden exactly. it's gone back. It's exactly. falling back. Right. So, <laughs> but I mean, everybody, every other team has their ups and downs and, uh, you know, the Dodgers are kind of in one of those runs right now where they're great. And, and the Dodgers fans think, oh, we'll never lose. And then they might lose the night and then they're going to be like, well, we suck again, you know? So it's right. Like, <laughs> we uh, got to figure out uh, something with the baseball uh, playoffs as well where a team could be dominant all season long and all of a sudden you, you – We don't you, have you, enough time for all that. We don't have enough time <laughs> for all that. All right, man, as we let you go again, uh, what are you listening to these days? Going to put together a Spotify playlist of all our interviewees. Uh, what, what, what's, uh, what's getting you going, whether it be old school, new school, whatever the case may be? Well, I don't, you're on Spotify. I listen to a lot of country, Luke Holmes, Eric Church, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, what I listen to all the time, which my, my, my kids make fun of me more than anybody, is I listen to Fly on Sirius XM 47. Let's go. Uh, you, know, you know, it's got like Biggie and Tupac yeah. and all like that late eight, like 90s, 2000s, yeah. you know. Hip hop and R&B jams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From like, like when I was like getting out of high school, you know, still like yeah. thinking I was cool back then. You're right? bringing the 90s back every time you get yeah. in the car, huh? <laughs> My kids are like, this is the worst music ever. But I'm like, <laughs> then I'm like, but look, have you heard what you listen to? Right. Uh, look at that. Old AJ Przinsky. Who would have thought it, man? Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate your time. This was uh, this was fun. And and hopefully the people enjoy it because I know White Sox fans always love hearing from you. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Good luck. And uh, yeah, go White Sox. Yes, sir. Time for some commercials. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. This is what happens when you, uh, you enter a new relationship and then you move in. Like, only thing I needed to bring was the TV. And other than that, my life has turned into an assortment of Halloween decorations. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. This is a new living situation? Yeah, yeah, we just moved in together on the 25th of September, so that's why I have a bedazzled soap dispenser right here. <laughs> so, you know the vibes. Uh, the voice you're hearing right here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And of course, Spotify is the gang. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Hinsdale's finest, st- by way of Stevenson High School, Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football from the NFL Network and also 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt on the Ringer and Spotify Network joins us. Kyle, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, you, this season, not only became a Chicago legend because you, you're already, you know, you go to Princeton, you play football, you're handsome, you're on Days of Our Lives, like you, 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 you're getting an A in every one of the report guard checkboxes, but this year, your uh, scorching 
rant about Justin Fields and Matt Nagy and what was happening with the Bears offense, uh, it, it set off a lot of alarm bells here in this city. And I don't listen to a lot of local radio anymore for a lot of reasons. But, man, when that happened, I was like, yo, I got to hear other people talk about what this man said. So we thank you for joining the show. Um, I want to get I want to get into your career. And then we'll get into all the football stuff. Can I uh, say something first, Jason? Go ahead, man. This is already my favorite podcast I've ever been on. If uh, for a lot of reasons, <laughs> I, you, there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of shows. I can't remember ever hearing one or seeing one that is in a damn kitchen. You oh, are yeah. in a kitchen. If if nobody's ever seen this, if you're not listening to the, the video, Jason's in a kitchen with a refrigerator behind him and a, like bouquets of flowers. I mm-hmm. see maybe like a cutting block. Like what? What is going on? I, podcasts don't go in kitchens. You're a revolution. So, so this is the thing. I uh, we just moved in here, and my lady is a psychologist, so she's in telehealth in the back room uh, in the office. So every once in a while, I get to record like a big boy in the office. But other than that, I'm relegated to the kitchen next to the dog crate and uh, various uh, apples and bottles of wine and things that I can get into. I'm pretty much I'm a child in a forty year old's body, so she understands that if I'm in the kitchen, she can see me on the cameras. Like this is the way we uh, have navigated this relationship so far so yeah so she gets the like the the, none of the nice room she gets the justin fields and you get the andy dalton that makes sense it all it's all coming together there it is and if if the room ever hyper extends his knee then maybe i come in there for a couple of snaps you know all right the the analogy has now died because i took it another step further but yeah man um your career it's quite interesting uh before we get to good morning football uh so Give me the the vibes of working on the Jim Rome show as an executive producer, because I, you know, in this city, we're very the, the civic pride is through the roof. Right. And if anything is syndicated or out of town, I'm not listening to that shit. And then it would be the Jim Rome show that a lot of people would refer to. And I'm like, listen, I kind of like that show. Like I was I used to watch a TV show. Jim Everett was like one of my favorite quarterbacks. And when that happened, I was like, oh, look at this. And and what? always stuck out to me and was all I marveled at because in this business you're talking right my my former partner used to say open mouth and say things he never said uh or um there was never any stammering and the thoughts were clear and concise and that was part of it and also the content but what was that experience like working on that show it's amazing I did it for nine years and you know I'm a little like you so I I grew up in Chicago and so I remember when I was like in the back seat of the car uh my, my mom was driving me to school or I was with my dad they were listening to uh Brandmeier or they were listening to like Chet Kopic yeah and then when I got into high school all right so when I got into high school I would listen to Mancow like that was my guy Mancow's okay. morning madhouse and you know everyone in, in New York was listening to Howard Stern I'm like no Mancow is my guy and I was way into that um, so I wasn't doing the syndicated stuff either. Like I, I, I don't have any history at all with like Mike and the mad dog. I've gotten to meet those guys, but mm-hmm. I didn't grow up listening to the show. I didn't start listening to Stern until I was in college. So I get the local radio thing. I didn't listen to Rome until I started being out in Los Angeles. And so I have the same background, totally appreciate it. And yet I did work for him for nine years and it was unbelievable training ground and, uh, shoot, like a, a minefield sometime with the callers. And you do, like, his broadcast style is really unique. We're talking about a Hall of Famer now. He's in the Broadcast Hall of Fame. Yeah. And he has this, this phrase. It's kind of a snobby phrase that he doesn't personally use, but people on radio love this. It's called 
the economy of words yes, where you can get across a very detailed message in like, you know, three words. And so when he's doing that thing where he doesn't say, um, or he doesn't breathe, like he takes his time and he has this really deliberate broadcasting thing that I don't have. And that a lot of people don't have, but it's distinct. And there's such a power in being distinct and having your own style. It's almost like a martial art. So I learned a ton, man. And like, I was in the jungle and I did smack offs and I learned how to grind and like all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> classically trained. Yeah, no, dude, it's I, I can appreciate it coming from the production side of things and understanding when you're not behind the mic, but what you have to do to get a show together and make sure the show comes off without a hitch because your name's not on it, but your name's on it every single performance. Uh, the, the, the Princeton experience for you, you know, three-year starter at running back and kick returner doing all those things. I mean, coming out of Stevenson High School, going to Princeton, what kind of, uh, what kind of jump was that for you? Well, first of all, you're on the research. That's why I respect you. I love people who do their work. Um, very simple. All right, so I'm at Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire in the mid-90s. I was class in 97. And all I wanted to do, my whole dream, was that I wanted to play Big Ten football. And if you remember, you know, in the 90s, the mid-90s, there was nothing hotter in the Big Ten than Northwestern. And This is yeah. the, uh, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, Darnell Autry, Dwayne Bates teams going to like Rose Bowls and stuff. Like I yeah. wanted to be Darnell Autry so bad it hurt. And I would go on these, you know, you'd start to get letters. And I got a letter from Northwestern. I went on an unofficial visit. You know, you go and join practice in Evanston. And like I would have sold my soul to get a full ride to play football at Northwestern. It's just, I mean, I didn't have the ability. I just, to be a big 10, I was a running back. I mean, you got to be such a a thoroughbred and just so talented and so big. And I just wasn't. So eventually, you know, there's some of these other schools and it'd be like Mac schools, you know, maybe we could give you an interest, come and play special teams. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I don't know if I'm going to Toledo to run cover kicks as an upperclassman. So then eventually like these Ivy league schools were like, well, you know, you, your academics are really strong and you're a good player. And then uh, I took one visit to Princeton. I was like, well, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. It's just mm. like every Ivy League dream anyone's ever had. And I uh, I went and I went and I played and it was awesome, man. I loved it there. I had great memories. We didn't win for shit, but like it was an incredible <laughs> memory to play college football. <laughs> how, how did theater shape uh, not just your life, but obviously, you know, you went on to do Days of Our Lives and now you're on television and there's a certain uh, projection that, that happens when you're on television. Like I, I, I'm on no level like yourself, but I've only done TV for the pre and post game show for the Chicago Bulls for the last three years years and the, the projection and the the try like you said the economy of words and understanding that things need to get across and you need to be performing no matter what kind of day you've had how did theater and your love of theater uh kind of mold you for the position that you're in right now well thank you for the question it's flattering to, to be asked that i listen I'll, I'll here's my economy of words when I was about 18 years old, I was I said, I'm a stereotype. I'm the guy driving the Jeep, listening to Pearl Jam in the letter jacket. I'm one dimensional. I don't have a ton going on. I'm a football dude. I'm in a John Hughes movie. I need to do something else. This is not how I was raised. This is not how I want to be. I started being in plays. And this is, you know, honestly, dude, this is in the 90s, a little different when the football jock would go and show up and do plays. Or when the theater guy would go to the football team, it was odd. It was it wasn't now where everything is embraced and encouraged. It was a little right. weird, and I God, it gave me such good exposure and such good lessons. And to be able to like put yourself out in, out of your comfort zone. Anybody listening to this, like 
do something that makes you wildly uncomfortable. And I guarantee it'll make your life better in the long run. Going on stage and costume and doing monologues and things. I was so scared and so nervous. I had to have no problem on fourth and one getting the ball. I, I loved it. <laughs> but if you asked me to do a scene from like Twelfth Night or The Tempest or something, Ooh. I was so scared and I did it. And then sure enough, years later, you know, I'm on NBC in my underwear doing soap operas. And there is a reason for that, that it all worked out. So out of the comfort zone, it helped a lot. So being a, a brother, uh, not from another mother, but actually a brother, uh, I have been around a few women that like their stories, uh, so to speak, <laughs> you know, and and it was all I used to love listening to ladies talk about, you know, pretty much their gang affiliation, whether it was General Hospital or you know, Days of Our Lives, your experience. Uh, how does one make it to that? And also. You know, for for years as a kid, I used to think that like actors look down on soap opera actors, you know, like uh, like, for instance, like how print media used to look down on electronic media. And obviously we see how the times have changed now where these newspapers have turned into pretty much 12 pages of car ads and maybe two pages of content. But how did how did that come about? And and not just what you did, but how it was received around you? Because was that the time where people were like, eh, you're in the soaps, but you know, like movies were the big thing and now TV is really the big screen. I know exactly what you mean. And first of all, you have total credibility, Jason, because you use the term stories. And that <laughs> is how people talk about it. like they don't if you're really into it, you don't say, well, I got to go watch my soap operas. You don't even right. say I got to go watch my soaps. You say my stories. And that's what they say in the South. And that's what they say for like the lifers. If you've been yes. watching days since 1969 or whatever it is. Your story. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the vibe. You drop that. And it is like there is like there's an all my children crew and general hospital, which they used to call GH like that oh, yeah. like in the days crew. Big so gang I mean, affiliation vibe. Yeah, it does feel that way. And it's in L.A. Like so it, like it, it all works out. Um, listen, I, I feel I got out of school. Uh, days of our lives was like my closest thing. I had to graduate school. And if you're listening to this and watching this, you're like, oh, my God, soap operas with the cheesy dialogue and the dumb looks when they go to commercial. I did all that stuff. And it's corny as hell, of course. But it is so fun and it's actually really hard because you have to uh, memorize tons of dialogue. But again, Jason, this is where it comes into broadcast and what I'm doing now. I can look at um, a stat sheet, a highlight sheet, a game summary, a box score for a minute. And I got the whole thing. And that's because I sit there, sat there in 2003 with my shirt off and said, <laughs> you know, Bell, I just really think it's time for you to choose between Sean and me. And I'm, I think I love you. And like because I memorized that stuff. Now I know that um, Lamar Jackson was 37 of 43 for 400 plus and four. Like it, it all comes back. So it's such a strange path and it's, it's ridiculous, my resume, but somehow there is some way that it still helps me to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Little chunks of your life experientially lead to what you need to do in life. Right. Like, you know, your, whatever your calling may be. And now, of course, with with the Good Morning Football show, like this is. I've always wondered, one, because radio is different than TV, but, you know, the morning show for radio, whenever you got a chance, whenever I got a chance to do that or when even I thought was up for jobs, you know, outside of this city, the first thing, and, and I got into radio when I was 19, 20 years old, so the first thing they told me pretty much, hey, morning radio is cool, you get to be the first one to react to what happened the night before, but it takes years off of your life because your sleep cycle is going to be different and all the other things. How... 
especially on the TV end, because radio, you could be a cant- cantankerous old bastard and, and get off all that shit off your chest from the night before. And people are like, ah, oh, I feel the same way. And you're, you're getting that access point of anger. But when you have to be smiley and perform and do what you have to do, maybe after a bad night or having a bad day and then do it that early, like what what is that? What is, how does that manifest itself from whatever happened the night before to I got to perform early in the morning, like get there for whatever time you got to get there? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I, I wake up at 4.15 a.m. and I don't say that to brag or that I'm that tough or whatever. That, just to answer the question, um, the, the Sunday night football game or the Monday night football game that I'm on Eastern time is over sometimes 11 or 11 30 or something so mm-hmm. you go to sleep and i know that but it's from the time i get up i have about two and a half hours before i have to be on national television live saying something interesting and fun about lamar or Dak prescott or who the hell ever it's hard so when the game ends and you go to sleep you're like well that game sucks that was boring it was jags titans and who cares but doesn't matter i i, I gotta go think of something interesting i'm like how the hell am i supposed to sleep about a 13 to six game that no one cared. And it doesn't matter. It was the NFL network. We don't go to baseball. We don't go to basketball. I right. have to have something. To, so a lot of times you lie awake and you're just like, well, can I come up with some sort of interesting metaphor or observation? It's really hard to sleep. And then you get there on set and then the light goes on there. 10 seconds. It's live. There's no shoot this segment and air it later. And if you mess up, it's live. Um, I think that's the answer though. Because it's so energizing and it's so scary and it's such an adrenaline rush that it is a live show. And if you mess up, you're fired. That That's where my energy <laughs> comes from and that's where my nerves come from. And I haven't been fired yet. You know, actually, Stefan and I were talking about this uh, in, in the pre, I guess, interview uh, meeting that we were having, which really wasn't a meeting. Um, and how I seem to find, and too much so, uh, there's there's a lot of self value in this business that we have to find in other people's opinions. One for employment, and two because sometimes that's the meter that you get because you don't know if you're doing this shit right. You know, there's no there's no blueprint. If you're trying to be yourself, then maybe yourself it hasn't been through these experiences or done this job, and you just gotta kind of roll with it. Uh, when you're on that kind of platform, where do you find your value? Is it in a great segment? And is it in the camaraderie with you and your castmate or teammates? Uh, is it in just the reaction that you get uh, from the fans or the the, uh, the the viewers? Is it from your bosses? Like, where do you find that? OK, I, I might be all right with this. And also, where do you find that? Ah, the, you know, I got to get better at this. You know, that's sometimes why radio is fascinating, because especially with single host radio, there's no audience. There's no like no one's laughing like you're a stand up. No, there's no co-hosts. There's no Robin Quivers to validate. That's mm-hmm. why single host radio. I saw that one of the hardest things to do in all of the industry, because you just speak. And, you know, before social media, there was really nothing like maybe phone calls would light up. But uh, I, I don't have to do that. I sit at a table with three other people. So my validation or, or whatever it may be comes immediately when I look at Peter or I look at Kay or look where Nate used to sit. And then I've got to tell you my favorite thing, Jason, is so we're doing a segment on who knows, the Seahawks or something. And I go into some rant or observation or whatever I'm doing. And OK, so I'm finished talking and then the, here comes the bump and we go to commercial five, four, three, two. And then look, I'm, a, I'm an addict like anybody else. You look at Twitter and before the segment was even over. There's tweets that aren't even coherent. They aren't even like, they're not like, wow, great segment. It'll be like, 
this Kyle Brand is an idiot. And I mean right. that like a compliment. Sometimes they'll be like, he's an idiot. And that means they think that you're funny. Or right. they'll be like, I'm so done with Kyle Brand. I just can't. Those are the ones that are like heroin to me. I, I see those <laughs> and they're just like, they can't even put into words what they just heard. They keep one of those will keep me going for a month, man. So I get it from my co-hosts and everything. But when you go to social media and someone like, how often do you watch a show or listen to a show and you actively tweet at the host? I, you're doing other right. things for someone right. to be like, hold on, let me close my app. So let me close Instagram. I need to actually send a tweet to that on-air personality because that was so crazy that like I, I'm home free at that point. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely dig it. And b- being in local radio for all those years and now on the TV side, boy, when they saw me that first season, I was like, man, I didn't think I was fat, but okay, I'll, I'll get on this, guys. <laughs> Who is the most interesting guest that you guys have had on the Good Morning Football Show? You know, this is a this is kind of low-hanging fruit, but – it's really hard to beat Aaron Rodgers. And just let me tell you why. He brings the combination of, of huge stature and high-end play with, um, like, thing is about Rodgers, he really, really wants to be a good guest. Some people don't want to. They want to get out of there. They want to plug whatever. He wants every answer to be uh, interesting and full of uh, his genuine opinions, not just some cliche which is why if you watch a lot of Rogers interviews, if he gets a question, a lot of times he'll take like three or four seconds before he starts speaking, which is unheard of. People just go because they want to feel like they're on top of it and smart. And mm-hmm. I don't even need to think. He has this philosophy where like I stop and think for a minute and then I answer. And it's actually really interesting to watch. And if you're listening to this, start watching Rogers interviews, whether he does with McAfee or a national press conference, he'll do it a lot. And I, I think it's so subtle And it says a lot about him as a person. And I'm getting into the intricacies and splitting hairs about his interview now. But uh, anytime Rogers comes on, he's great. And then not only that, like he's the only guy who will give you like, yes, he cares completely. And he'll give you a deep psychological response to something very important. And then, you know, he'll end it with like a happy Gilmore quote. Like it's just everything. I, I think he and Charles Barkley still, as long as they've both been doing it, are still the best interviews in sports. Yeah, yeah. Having an engaged interviewee is uh, is heaven, and not having that is is the hell that it feels like uh, half the time. All right, so ho- you're hosting ten questions. It's in the third season. Last week you had Eli Manning on. Uh, how how hard is it to come up with the questions? I'm doing the Rogers. I'm thinking. I'm thinking for a second. Because I'm, I'm engaged and I have such respect for right. Jason Goff that I don't yeah, want to give him no disingenuous. Doubt. Measured responses are very important here in episode 16 of this That's podcast. That's right. Here we are. 16. <laughs> we finally did it. Uh, Let's go, I have baby. a process. I sit down with my laptop. And uh, so, like, the Mark Cuban episode just mm-hmm. came out. And I'm like, okay. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, Jason, sometimes, you know, you got you have to get to 10 questions. And sometimes I get to six that I wrote, and I'm like, I'm out, no mas. There's nothing left to ask this person about. We're going to have to change the show to three questions. Right. <laughs> with Mark Cuban, I was like, I could be I could be 100 questions with Kyle Brandt. So uh, what I do is, um, so I come up, you reverse engineer it. Think about this. So I know that I want to ask Mark Cuban about Shark Tank. So I have to figure out how I'm going to get there backwards. So I'm going to ask him a trivia question, of which there are 10, where the answer has something to do with sharks. So I'll be like, uh, what was the nickname for legendary UNLV coach Jerry Tarkanian? 
and he'll be like, oh, shit. Oh, wait. Oh, it's the shark. That's right, Mark. Give him a point. It's the shark. Why am I asking about sharks? Of course, the shark tank. And then we get into the whole shark tank thing. So I read out the 10 things I want to get to, and then I get there backwards. There you go. It's like doing a little puzzle. It's so fun, man. Oh, see, this is genius level work right here, ladies and gentlemen. If you're listening right now, the voice of Kyle Brandt joining us here on the Full Go podcast with Jason Goff. He is the host of 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt on Spotify. Season three uh, just got underway. I want to ask you before we spring you here, and I appreciate your time, brother. Uh, best day of your career and worst day of your career? All right. The best day of my career the best day of my career was was getting cast in good morning football and i'll tell you why they had uh, they put that show together very quickly in new york city and the nfl network had never done a show in new york they never done a show like this it was a huge risk and i was the risk on top of the risk and i think there's a good lesson here for anybody in media anybody who consumes media they had their show they had uh kay adams strong female nate burleson ex-player peter mm-hmm. schrager Plugged in insider. We are good to go. We're good, baby. Let's go. Let's do the show. And someone said, hold on. Let me add a wrinkle. I know this guy and he's a little bit of a wild card and he doesn't fit into any of these molds. And I don't know if you guys are going to like him or not, but I think you might. And I think we should try it. I think we should take a risk with this guy, Kyle. And, you know, some powers that be were like, well, hold on. What do you mean? Who is he? What does he do? He's a radio producer for Jim Rome, but, you know, he's got an interesting background. He was on the real world. And I'm like, what? This is the NFL. I mean, it's sort of naturally risk adverse. And I had some champions fight for me and say, just try it. And they put me in there. That show had no auditions, no chemistry tests, no nothing. Cast sight unseen, more or less, Damn. for like a contract for several years. So they risked everything. And if I was some jackass or I just didn't fit in, like they would have looked really bad and it just would have bombed. So unbelievably flattered that someone had the foresight to say, hold on, let's try something different. It doesn't have to just be X players and insiders. Let's, let's take a risk. Let's throw, let's throw some gasoline in there and see what happens. It just doesn't go down like that very much. And so really, really proud that they took that and they took it on me and that 1300 episodes later, like when they're still taking it. Um, The worst day of my career was the day I got Good Morning Football. No, it was uh, – <laughs> that's how I'm supposed to answer that. Poetic. Yeah, of course. Of course. I hate all these people go to hell, you know. <laughs> yeah, the worst day of my career was when um, – it, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, but when I finally realized that I was not going to be a famous actor, and I remember it vividly, uh, I had been try- I had left Days of Our Lives to become a movie star. Like every soap opera star leaves to become a movie star. And uh, I just started running out of money a year, year and a half. I'm auditioning for everything in the world, Superman movies and Star Trek movies with 50,000 other guys who look just like me. And it's every bad cliche you've heard about Hollywood. And I remember vividly, they were making a a remake of Knight Rider, the Hasselhoff show from the 80s. They were bringing it back. I think this is 2007, maybe. And I'm going to be the lead of the show. And I I get a call back and I got another call back and I'm like in the final few. And I'm like, this is it. This is why I lift all those weights. This is why I stuck into it. And I'm like, I'm going to be Knight Rider. I'm going to be on NBC. And then my career is going to take off. And I swear to God, I'm going to be Matt Damon. I I know it. And um, I didn't even come close. I didn't get it. They went with this other guy and they chose another guy who was a soap opera actor, which was just twisting the knife. And I mean, I cried real tears. I'm like, this is it. I'm out of money. I'm moving back to Chicago. I'm not making this up as a turn of phrase. Like I I wasn't going to live in my mom's basement in Lake Bluff where she was at the time. 
And that was a terrible, terrible dark day uh, where I'm like, Jesus, I, I guess I'm like the cliche failed actor. And um, about shoot, like two weeks later, I, I got my first email from Jim Rome and I followed up on that. And then I worked with him for nine years. But that I tell you, man, that Knight Rider pilot, there's a scene in the final scene of the pilot and is that, that I'm supposed to be Michael Knight's kid. And I, if, if I remember it right. I, Michael Knight has died and I go up to his grave. It's Hasselhoff's grave. And I'm like, oh, dad, you know, I just don't, I'm being torn in so many directions, dad. And I'm giving the speech. And then from, let's check this shit out. From up behind me, it's Hasselhoff and he's not dead and he's alive and he's still here. And oh my God, the goosebumps. And that was going to be my Emmy moment. I'm going to go to the moon and they went with this other guy. And I was so heartbroken. I, I practiced that speech so many times, dude. And I didn't get it. And they weren't impressed. Hey, but guess what? Every morning, you on Good Morning Football is pretty much saying, hey, fuck these people. I've won. So I can dig it, brother. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, you know, joke's on them. But hey, I, the reason why I ask those questions to our guests because a lot of people, I mean, you could Google people's wins, but a lot of people don't tell you their L's on the way to being who they are. So I, I appreciate it. As we let you go here, uh, how you feeling about the Bears, man? How you feeling about the Bears? I, I feel okay about the Bears. Let me take a quick sidebar when you mention someone's L, because this is I, I can't stop thinking about this. Your career in sports, how, did I just one question. How did it change at the NFL draft in 2015 when the Rams selected Jared Goff, who not only shares your last <laughs> name, shares your first, first initial. initial too, yeah. and it's Jay Goff. And, like, listen – if your name is, um, you know, Peter Mahomes or something like that's kind of cool. Like Jared Goff is not looked at terribly heroically. Like he doesn't have a great rep and now he's in Detroit and they might go on 17. What was that? You're like, Oh, come on, please. I guess it could have been, maybe you could have been like, um, Christian Wentz. Maybe that would have even worse for that draft, but tell me what that day was like for you. Yo, uh, before that I saw him play Northwestern Cal played Northwestern. And I'm like, Oh shit. It's a long lost cousin. Yeah, yeah, you know, because golf is a British last name, right? My parents are from Belize. So it was British Honduras. I'm sure there was some wild shit that happened on a boat coming over here. You know what I mean? You know the vibes. You know the story. Uh, so, so, so I'm like, oh, there's a Jay Golf. And then so a part of me was like, Man, I hope this dude sucks so I can still be the best Jay Goff. And then, you know, there was a part of me also. I'll, oh, it's so crazy that I'm going to say this. When I got let go from the score, uh, and it was a 2018 now, 2017, something like that. Uh, when I got let go, the one of the first things I thought of is like, you don't even have to search your name on Twitter because all that's going to come up is Jared Goff. Like the, Jared Goff has insulated me from all the people who are spiking the ball on my career right now. And now, you know, now I, you know, people tweet me and go, Hey man, the only golf we recognize is Jason Goff. And I'm like, damn right. Damn right. So, so I've taken a ride when it comes to Jared Goff. Shout out to Jared Goff. Cause you know, I think he's been put in some tough positions. Like he didn't give himself sure. a contract. You no, know what I mean? Like, no, but I, I stand Jason Goff. I, I'm, well, I'm when it comes to the Goff brothers, I'm a Jason guy now. My man, that's why. I, that's why um, I rock with you, Kyle. And you know why I love him? Because he does what all Lions quarterbacks do, and they lose to the Matt Nagy Bears. Like that's that's all we need. Say what you want about the Matt Nagy administration, man. He can beat them Lions. Can you know he? how to beat the Lions, right? <laughs> you know? Which is not great. Like, it's not a thing to stand with. He, he can beat the Lions. I don't know. Like, we're, we're having this conversation during Packer week. 
Ah, and I'm already so stressed about it. Like that, and here I am saying, "Oh, Rogers is such a great interview. It's such an insufferable bastard when he plays the Bears. He really does, and he knows it too. Like I've oh, talked yeah. to him about this before. Like he's so perfectly aware. And I'll tell you why. One, this guy had the balls to drop a a Bose commercial in which he's prancing through Soldier Field, tuning out all the Bears fans who are booing him. Two, when he accepted the NFL Honors Award for Play of the Year, which was that crazy Randall Cobb touchdown week oh. one a few years ago, he gives this nice speech and he says, Cobby this and the coach this, and then he could have been done. And he almost takes a step back to the microphone, but then he goes, you know, plus it's, it's always fun to beat the Bears. And there's a little smile, and I was like, God, oh. Rogers, you bastard. Next life, we're going to get you. So um, just think, as Bears fans, we watched the Green Bay Packers go from Don Mikowski to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. It's the worst. And, like, I, I, well, I'm trying to think of the worst part. You know the part used to drive me crazy? And during the Cutler era, every time they would get the absolute shit kicked out of them by the Packers, there was always, all right, it's like, all right, Packers 43, Bears to 10 or whatever it was. And then always, seconds after the game was over, there's Cutler yucking it up with Rodgers and laughing and busting chops. And I'm like, Jay, I'm not naive enough to think you guys can't be friends. But Jesus Christ, could you save it for after when you go in the tunnel? It's killing me as a fan of this game to watch you laughing with the, the Pennywise who just destroyed your ass again. It used to drive me crazy. Every time they would beat Cutler, there would always be laughs. And I, I, can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. So you were the meatball fan that was calling us up. Like, hey, you see the camera angle when Cutler was smiling on the sideline? Like, what's so goddamn funny? And be like, hey, man, sometimes you got to just laugh at how bad you are, right? <laughs> I turned into Tony from Berwyn on line two, for sure. I know Tony from Berwyn. And now, but here's the thing. Like, here's my favorite thing about Fields. And it has nothing to do with the size or speed or anything like that. Yeah. I love his demeanor. And I mean that, like, even in that, like, the cataclysmic Cleveland game, there was never a time when he, like, threw his mouth guard or he was like, dude, what, what is going on? Like, he, he's so steady, almost, like, disturbingly. He's got, like, some Dexter in him or something. Like, yeah. very steady. You know what he is? He's, he's, Brand, he's Brandon Roy in football pants. Brandon like, Roy's Brandon Roy for Portland Trailblazers is, like, you know, like, it, it, like he was, uh, you know, his knees gave out on him, obviously, but he like when people like D'Angelo Russell, who hasn't earned it, pointed their you know their arms and say ice water in the veins. Like Brandon Roy was that dude. Was like, is this dude a serial killer? Because you just hit a game winning shot in the playoffs, and you, you there's no there's like the Derrick Rose shot, right? But we all know Derrick is a basketball robot, so it's a little bit different. But yeah, Justin Fields, like for a dude to come from as much success as he's come from, and to get his brains beat in the first couple of weeks, and he's like, all right. He hyperextended his knee, came over to the sideline. I was like, hey, uh, let me go back in the fucking game because this ain't working out out here. So I'm with it, man. I'm with it. I, I am all on the Justin Fields train. We have to be. I got a buddy who's he's, he's a Packers player, but he's not a well-known guy. He's a small school guy. Yeah. And I, he would prefer I not say this to his name, sure. so I won't. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up is I was screaming on Good Morning Football one morning about why is it Dalton? I don't understand. Like it has to be fields. And what, what is, why do everyone else get to play with their rookies? And we don't in this whole thing that afternoon, I got a text from him and he was like, saw your fields rant, like, you know, fire emoji. He's like, I really hope they don't listen to you. They being the bears. <laughs> and I was like, well, they probably won't, but that was so validating because even not let alone other players and other teams, other Packers, another, at least one other Packers, like, 
Yeah, man. Keep that Fields dude on the sideline. I love that. I, I really think, and I said it, I said it his, uh, his last year at Ohio State. I'm like, that is the best quarterback in college football. And I know who Trevor Lawrence is. I know, it, it, like, these days, once you say something about one guy, that means the other guy ain't shit. And that's not where I'm going with, like, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be excellent too. But I'm, Justin Fields, like, that's, that's that shit. Like, that, I think if you unlock it, and this, this year obviously won't be the last play caller he has because I think he might have a new one coming up next year or whatever the case may be. But if you unlock it, that dude has done a lot of winning in his life on every level. Like the filtration process that, that these dudes go through and every once in a while you're like, oh, that's a bump in the road there. People are pointing out the Northwestern game where he was throwing to hurt receivers and also one of the better cornerbacks in the game was cover, covering his best guy, Chris Olave. I, I think Justin Fields is going to be the shit, man. Like I, I haven't felt this way about a quarter. And on top of it, I'm not going front. Like as a, 40 years old now, I'm going to be 41 in November. Uh, I have never seen them develop and draw draft a black quarterback and there's a there's a whole part of the city that was like I don't give a shit what happens like we got a brother under center right now and and the the whole mobile quarterback thing like he's a quarterback that can move around and he's not just one of these running dudes I am um I am definitely enthused about the kids so I, I when I saw your rant when we all saw your rant we was like oh he's he we know he's one of us but he is now officially like one of us like like they say you could be invited to the barbecue you know albeit that there's no – but we got to check your email, though. We, we got we to check your email. My email's sure. good. I'll park cars at the barbecue. I don't, I don't even need to eat. Like, I'll bring something. Yeah, yeah. Promise, it's going to be a whole bunch of turtle top vans with, like, cool and Newport smoke billowing out of them, though. I can, okay? I can park anything you want. I, I will season the food that I bring. I promise. No, 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 no. You're good. You, you, you just bring the ice. You, just bring you, all the ice. Yeah, I, I'll yeah, bring yeah. ice. No. <laughs> Kyle. I'll bring you can't have too much ice. I promise yeah. I'll bring lots of ice and I'll bring park the car. I'm just thrilled to be there. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, appreciate your time, man. As we let you go, uh gonna put together a playlist of all our uh, Spotify guests here. What you listening to these days? Old, new, doesn't matter. What are you listening to? What's what's getting you going after your early mornings, I should say? Okay, that's a great question. Um I listen to a lot of tool. And I know that the easy joke is that, yeah, because you are a tool. I, I don't give a shit. I couldn't, I couldn't care less. It is the most creative hard rock band. And I'm getting a huge charge out of it because they just announced they're having a huge tour. I Ooh. saw them at the United Center uh, fall of 2019 before the shit came down. Um, yeah. If you like rock, obviously, if even if you just like creativity and it's not your thing, uh, listen to the Fear Inoculum album by Tool. It is an absolute masterpiece. Every track is like nine or ten minutes long. They don't give a shit about any of the rules. They don't make videos. They don't want to be on the radio. And I respect that so much about them. So I listen to a lot of them. Those are my guys. Yeah, there it is. All right. Well, I'm more of a ten thousand days kind of guy. But are we'll, you? We'll, uh, we'll we'll get back to it, dude. I've listen. I grew up with uncles who run the gambit in terms. I had five uncles, so. I, I listened to everything from Public Enemy to Depeche Mode to Billy Idol. Like, so growing up, coming up, it was a wide, wide um, net when it came to music consumption. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with, with you. 10,000 uh, Days is yeah. um, it's a great album. And it's it's how long we're going to have to wait to, to beat Aaron Rodgers, I think, uh, if, if he keeps coming back. I just I think that's the easy transition. 
ladies and gentlemen, this is why he is who he is. It was this is right. why we were happy to have him on. He is the co-host of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network weekdays. Uh, and also, right here, 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt on The Ringer. And, of course, Spotify is always the gang. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us, brother. Look forward to doing this again. The NFC North's greatest Jay Goff. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. My man. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. So earlier we mentioned that we hear from head coach Matt LaFleur of the Green Bay Packers. Last year it was like, all right, is Aaron Rodgers going butt heads with Matt LaFleur until Matt LaFleur has seen his way out? But it seems like they're on the same page this year. Seems like Matt LaFleur has relented some of his, I guess, um, res- not responsibilities, but the, the my offense kind of nature in which he stepped into this situation with. And Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, is, you know, come a, a little bit closer to understanding what his head coach wants out of him now. Of course, this this relationship goes a lot uh, higher in terms of the angst, right? It's, it's, it's front office, it's team management that Aaron Rodgers now has the issue with. But Matt LaFleur has kind of stabilized this thing. And this is what he had to say about the Chicago Bears and in particular their defense. Yeah, it starts everywhere. I mean, they got they got players on all three levels. Certainly, those edge rushers are um, as good as they get, and I think they're really really playing at a high level. I think interiorly, um, Nichols, Hicks, um, Goldman. I mean, all those guys are just so disruptive. And then you got the backers. Both those guys, or really all three of the guys inside, can run. Um, Roquan, he's he's one of the better linebackers in this league. Ogletree, I've got a lot of respect for. I go back to the Rams days with him, and he's still playing at a high level. And you got Danny Trevathan. So I think this just all in all, it's just it's the best defense we'll have played up to this point. Um, they're playing, they're just playing at an extremely high level. You see the effort on tape. Uh, I, w- I want to say. Robert Quinn, the first play of the second half versus the Raiders, you see him just running, chasing down a, a, a quick pass out in the flat. And, um, you know, they held Oakland to nine yards on that play or whatever, and then they hold them the next two plays, and our, uh, the Raiders are punting. So I just think that just any time you have a great scheme with great players that give great effort, that's a problem, and there's no – it's not a surprise to me that they're a top five defense. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing well, especially the last couple of weeks. And guys like Travis Gibson are making plays. You know, Kendall Vildor uh, has looked better 
right? Duke Shelley has looked better. Uh, guys are getting their footing. You know, DeAndre Houston Carson makes a, a great play over the top, seemingly in a cover one coverage. So they're trusting these guys who aren't the starters, who aren't the name recognized players around the league to not only fill in, but make plays. And Sean Desai has done a terrific job over these last few weeks and not just game planning and calling, calling the game, but also understanding which guys are in which positions and which positions and which responsibilities might be too big for guys. And right now it seems like no responsibility is too big for anybody on that Bears defense and it's all because of the front seven let's let's keep it funky I mean Robert Quinn has played excellent football seemingly these first five weeks of the season Khalil Mack has been Khalil Mack especially over these last couple of weeks so this is to me like I said the beginning this is the Eddie Goldman game control the interior you got two rookies and a second year player albeit some pretty decent prospects but young players nonetheless so we'll see if Sean Desai can you know mug that a gap or kind of switch up the looks at the front so try to try to make sure that these these young dudes in the interior that offensive line have more on their plate than they planned for I think this is going to be a coaching game this is why I think this game is going to be a lot closer maybe than people think. I think it'll be a one-score game, but I do think the Bears come up short in this one. My heart is saying the Bears, of course, but my head is saying the Green Bay Packers. But it'll be just like any of the Packers-Bears games that I've watched, like I said, over the last 20 or so years. But all in all, it'll be fun. And, of course, we'll be right here for you as soon as that game is over on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. All right, that's all the time that we have. I want to thank A.J. Pierzynski and, of course, Kyle Brandt for joining the show. Always fun to catch up with those dudes and always fun to bring you whatever it is that's in our silly heads here on the Full Gold Podcast. We'll be back Sunday night with a Bears-Packers recap, and we'll get the perspective of former Packers tackle Mark Tauscher. So we'll talk to him about all those victories that he got over the Bears during his time as a Packer. Plus, make sure you call or text with your thoughts on anything on the hotline at 773-359-3103 at 773-359-3103. want to thank my producer, Chris Tannehill, and also want to thank you for listening and sharing and downloading and reviewing and doing all the wonderful things you do for this pod. So, for Chris, I'm Jason, thanking you so much for listening to the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And of course, Spotify is the gang. As always, take care of yourselves and be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. It's the Full Go, baby! Okay, bye! This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.